Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 15, Shore Leave. No, it's not a drug-induced hallucination. It's another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. You're listening to the show that goes right down the rabbit hole in the attempt to parse all the meanings and messages from each and every episode of Star Trek. Yep, he means it every episode of Star Trek in broadcast order. And by the end of it all, maybe we'll learn just what it means when we say we really dig the philosophy of Star Trek. After averting an interstellar war last week, what does the crew of the Enterprise need? Well, they need a little shortly. Time to kick back, forget work for a while, and chase around rabbits. Really big rabbits. It's like they're going to Disneyland, Ken. It's, it's like they just crashed their car. They're going yeah. to Disneyland. <laughs> exactly. It's like that. Well, I will, I will of... admit, you get a minute and a half into this episode and you see the white rabbit. And, and, and I wish that I, I had thought, oh, this is going to be trippy. Mostly I just thought... Oh, I oh I don't know. Mm, <laughs> all you right. Know. Yeah, you know, all it's right. fine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's a bit like going to Disneyland, you're right. Well, and I think it's perfect timing that they ran this after Balance of Terror because that so far that has been the most tense episode where we introduce this whole idea of war and it, you know really getting serious. And now we just get to take a breather and go hang out on a planet full of uh Beautiful foliage and uh, princess costumes, apparently growing from the trees. (laughs) Gotta get me one of them princess costume trees. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They're all the rage. You can get them at Home Depot. Um, I have a little bit of trivia for you, Ken. Oh, goody. Uh, So this episode was written by the science fiction great Theodore Sturgeon. He he had quite the career uh, uh, doing uh, short stories, science fiction fiction. Uh, I was about to say science fiction fiction. Of course, it's fiction. The interesting thing here, though, is that it, he came to this show with with this big pedigree as being a highly published author, but this episode required a lot of rewriting. So. While they were shooting, Gene Roddenberry himself was rewriting a lot of these pages. And and apparently the the problem was that the original script that Sturgeon had turned in just had too many effects, too many scenes, too many fantasy sequences. And and it was going to go over budget no matter what. Even with all the rewrites, they ran over by a day, at least a day of shooting. And we're talking about expensive shooting. We're talking about location. We're talking about all this bizarre stuff happening, like a samurai jumping out of nowhere. So um, it was a difficult episode to shoot. And then the upshot of all of that is that by the time they finished, the actors were not so happy with the director here. Um, for the most part, everybody liked the script. They liked the idea. They liked the story. Uh, but because things were being rewritten so quickly and the, actor couldn't, uh, the, the director couldn't spend a lot of time with the actors, they kind of took that as a personal slight. However, the production staff, Bob Justman, Gene Roddenberry, Herb Solo, they all kind of liked the episode and liked the director. So, uh, unfortunately, that director never ended up working for Star Trek again. <laughs> um, All's so, well that ends. Yes. It uh, yeah. shows you a little bit of the, the power that the actors have on a show. Um, and speaking of actors, yes, yes, in this episode, uh, Teller, 
who we meet, uh, not to be confused with Penn and Teller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, that is, in fact, Barbara Baldavin. Baldavin, I know I'm mispronouncing her name there, who was also in Balance of Terror. She, of course, was Angela, who's, who was about to get married and her husband was killed in the line of duty. And now right after it, we have the same actress as a new character in this episode. It's a little weird. How far uh, apart were these in production order? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head, but they had to have been pretty far apart, you know, at least by a matter of several weeks. Yeah. Because that that seems like a pretty obvious uh, (laughs) oversight. One would hope so. Yeah, 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 but, but it you, is but, not. It is not the same character. Oh, that's she's, good. she's not just suddenly having this sort of uh, affair with uh, Rodriguez one week after losing her husband. No, that did not happen. <laughs> well, we don't know how long it's been. Oh, well, that's true. Since that's the last true. episode, I mean, you know, we're we're condensing a lot of time. I mean, it takes a while to get from, you know, point A to point B, even with warp drive. It does. After catching a war criminal standing down the Romulans, and nearly dying a number of times, the crew of the Enterprise could use a break, so what do they do on shore leave? Look, it's a planet, and you know what? We're all tired. Let's go have a look, because it's pretty there. McCoy, you and Sulu go first, along with Yeoman Barrows. Oh, and uh, McCoy just saw the White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, followed by Alice, also from Alice in Wonderland. Act 1. Still on that planet, other hallucinations are coming. Kirk isn't so sure that McCoy is just having a joke on him, so he decides to beam down and have a look, too, at Spock's insistence. A couple of other crew members are there, Rodriguez and Teller. They're just trying to survey the planet to make sure everything is okay. Sulu, meanwhile, has found a vintage pistol just laying around. Kirk makes him give it up. Was the rabbit real or not? And what about that little blonde girl probably named Alice? We're still not sure, but they split up and follow the tracks. Oh, and uh, out of the greenery, a weird little antenna contraption pops up, seemingly listening in on Kirk and McCoy's conversation. Kirk starts talking about being picked on at the Academy by his old nemesis Finnegan, and poof! There's Finnegan, out of nowhere, to start terrorizing Kirk. Barrow screams after a reckless but dashingly romantic figure attacks her. McCoy reckons him for Don Juan, and before too long, Kirk is reunited with his old flame, Ruth. Cue that dreamy music. Act 2. Kirk is really, really distracted by Ruth. He's not paying attention to the odd reports coming out about birds on this planet that supposedly has no animal life. He's only partially interested that there's a large energy source detected somewhere nearby. Communications are also dying out. Phasers aren't working. Meh. McCoy and Barrows are strolling along when she discovers the princess dress she was dreaming of. McCoy suggests that she put it on. Hey, why not? He's a little less interested when another crewman, Rodriguez, radios that he's in trouble. These fantasy hallucinations are getting a little more dangerous now. A tiger, a samurai chasing Sulu. Spock beams down against the captain's orders. He's still concerned about what this large energy source is doing to their equipment. Back in the glade, a knight shows up to challenge McCoy for the fetching Princess Barrows. Spock and Kirk arrive just in time to see McCoy lanced. He's dead. Lucky Kirk still has that old pistol that he took from Sulu. He shoots at knight dead as well. Act 3. 
Communications are completely gone now, as is McCoy when we left him, and so is that night. Upon inspection, though, the knight wasn't a living creature at all, much less human. He's a manufactured object made out of the same stuff as everything else on this planet. Spock is intrigued. Don't get too comfortable, though. Now a World War II-era fighter plane shows up, firing at Rodriguez and Teller. With enough distraction, McCoy's body has disappeared. Spock starts to put the pieces together. He asks what Kirk was just thinking of. Kirk thinks of, oh no, here we go again. Finnegan. Kirk is determined to beat the crap out of this lunatic if it will help him get some answers. There's quite a brawl. Shirts are ripped. Kirk is knocked out. Act four. Kirk wakes up, still with that goofy, grinning jackass over him, and he wants to know what's going on here. Finnegan is no help. Kirk takes a few more swings for good measure. Spock appears and explains his theory that all of these apparitions are based on thought. Cue the cavalcade. It's the tiger, the World War II fighter, the samurai, and there's Don Juan accosting Barrows again. Kirk rounds up his crew and asks him to shape up and concentrate, thinking of nothing. At that very moment, a pleasant elderly gentleman shows up and explains that he is the caretaker. This planet is indeed an amusement park, as Spock explains. Kirk gets it. The need for play is increased with the complexity of the mind. Nothing that has happened is real. And to prove it, here comes McCoy. He has recovered nicely, very nicely, in fact, because his recovery came complete with a couple of Vegas showgirls he was fantasizing about. Barrows is um, not amused. McCoy lets on that the whole machinery of this amusement park is underground and has remarkable technologies. Shore leave is back on, and everyone on the Enterprise is invited down. They're just going to have to be careful about what they imagine. Kirk is already imagining Ruth back into existence. A few days later, we're back on the bridge for a little family portrait and good-natured laughing. Ha, 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 ha. That never works. No, can I just say that I hate it? <laughs> and the little tag and the little laughing and all that's yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know what? To me, that really is just an indication of those rewrites happening as this was being filmed. You know, you get to the end and you go, "Oh man, we just need one more minute here at the end of the episode." So what do we do? We throw him back on the bridge and we have the slap the back and we laugh toward the camera and fly off into space. It it really is contrived you could i mean you could pull a jane from firefly and have kirk show up and go i'll be in my bunk because <laughs> you know yeah yeah they've had they've had a great shore leave and you do have to get you have to sort of get back to work but nobody wants to do the whole grim well we have to get back to work now so right, i mean you right. know you need yeah. something like the laugh at the end you just you kind of wish either you wish that the laugh was more realistic or that you know we could find a different device to get us out of the episode right yeah, and I guess I, maybe the problem was they looked at the end and they thought, oh, well, you know, if we just end it with uh, Kirk running off with Ruth, well, you know, what are we to assume happened between now and next week when we get to our next episode? Yeah, they could have spent an entire week on that planet. I'm yeah. sure they loved it. I think yeah. that would have been fine, honestly. That would have been the okay ending for me. Yeah. yeah. A couple of other little uh, interesting observations here. Did it sound to you like uh, Leonard Nimoy had a cold? While no, doing I did not notice that at all. Okay, it was only in a few scenes. Uh, it's always amusing to me, whatever show you're watching, when you know you figure the actor was ill or something. Wow, but, you take joy yeah. in seeing illness in other people? 
No, no, I just think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to go to your amusement planet. <laughs> no, not, not while you're all. there, anyway. It's going to be full of people with sinus infection. Yeah, no, and you just laughing your head off at everybody. Right, right. right. I'm amused. <laughs> hey, speaking of amusing, yeah. How about that back rub? <laughs> So I didn't mention it. I didn't mention it no, in you the didn't. story outline. Yeah. Uh, but at the very beginning of the episode, Kirk, it, it, you know, it, we get this feeling that they've been out in space for a long time and they're just kind of cranky and uncomfortable. And Kirk's got this kink in his back. And standing yeah. behind him, you've got Barrows, who's lovely, by the way, and yes. Spock. And Kirk says, oh, yeah, oh, right there on my back. And he assumes that Spock is giving him the back rub, but it's Barrows. And then he's a little embarrassed yeah. that it's the lovely Yeoman Barrows. Would have been totally cool if it was the Vulcan dude. Right? You know, totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Like, like that's something that happens all the time. You know, there's a weird there's, – there's a, there's a familiarity that happens between uh, members of the Enterprise crew that uh, puzzles me from time to time. I mean that anybody <laughs> would be massaging the captain's back while he is, you know, on the bridge in the captain's chair. Right. It strikes me as a little odd. There's another part where uh, Yeoman Barrows and uh, Sulu are, are sent off to, I think, track the, track the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sulu, like, puts his hand on – barrow's waist to sort of guide her and it's not it's not a thing it's not a big deal it's just every time i see stuff like that or like in um where no man has gone before when when uh the ensign comes up and starts holding gary's hand yeah um it's like you know there's there's a sort of you know i haven't been on a naval vessel (laughs) i haven't even been on a cruise ship for that matter but i don't know that the crew walks around like you know holding hands or you know doing that kind of thing I've been on some interesting cruise ships. I don't know that uh, you know. Maybe this is more like a cruise <laughs> right. ship. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, uh, yeah, but it, it does seem a little strange. You'd think that if it was just a back problem, you know, under any other circumstances, Kirk would say, "Hey, I'm going to go down to sick bay and see if I can get a little uh, a cortisone shot." But I guess it's totally fine if you have a Vulcan science officer, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and you need a back rub. Totally cool. Apparently um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And here's another observation of mine. Okay. Maybe I'll get mail about this. Maybe I'll get comments about this. But I realize I really do understand that Finnegan is a fan favorite. He He's that lovable scamp. He's that fun-loving loon with boundless energy. He's an idiot. Oh, I hate him so much. I, to me, he is a violent sociopath. Well, and if he were in Starfleet Academy, that guy should have been booted and thrown in jail. Well, e- okay. I, I, <laughs> here's what I'll say about that. I don't know whether he should have been thrown in jail or, you know, you know, whatever. Maybe sent to Tantalus Four. Uh, there you go. I will yeah. say if there's one overriding theme to Star Trek so far, it's that the Irish are idiots. Now, I don't I don't think so. Personally, I'm apparently a tiny bit Irish. I I grew up thinking I was more Irish than I was. And then all of a sudden turns out I'm part Welsh. So, you know, Mm, and you can tell how much how invested I am in all of that, that I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know, 164th Irish, uh, like a 10th Welsh. Uh, I'm, I'm a little Cherokee. Okay. You know, all kinds of stuff. I, and I know nothing about any of it except that somebody told me once that that's what I am. Somebody can come to me tomorrow and say, you're also Danish. And I'll be like, fine, I'm, I'm a Dane. Good. Right. Good for me. <laughs> right. um, so I don't think the Irish are idiots. But, you know, between Riley, the former ice cream and dances king of the Enterprise, and, is, yes. and, and Finnegan, who was uh-huh. who – I mean – I mean, the image of the Irish that you get from Star Trek really is like 
gleaned almost entirely from a box of Lucky Charms. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just yeah. and it's and I guess you know, I guess it's shorthand, and they're white, so you can do that. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. If if we had the same thing, like like if Sulu's character showed up with some of the racial stereotypes that we've had in the past, yeah. or if Uhura showed up with some of the racial stereotypes we've had in the past, I don't think even in 1960s uh, television that that would have flown. Yeah. Uh, but there's no problem making fun of the Irish. No. Well, and, absolutely and, not. Now, <laughs> it's not a race; it's a nationality. But still, I mean, at right. some point, don't you have to? I mean, James Joyce was Irish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. they're intelligent. Bono, I mean, that's going to be years later, but I mean, they're intelligent Hello. Irish people. Right. You know, right. they're not all drunk leprechauns. Yes. Which, which, uh, which sadly Finnegan and Riley tended to be. And if any of you have comments about the Irish regarding <laughs> Mission Log, please no, forward no, them. No, no, <laughs> I'm not saying anything bad about the Irish. No, I'm actually saying something bad about... Uh, well, I guess I'm saying something bad about Star Trek. I got yeah. there was one thing that I took from this episode that I think is is kind of fun, mm-hmm. and I'm curious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not unlike the Corbomite maneuver, uh, Shore Leave speaks to a much bigger universe than humans and, and even Vulcans are aware of at this point. When mm-hmm. when the caretaker comes out, you know, Kirk actually manages to keep his head for this part and says, "So who are you guys? What's the deal?" But um, mm, yeah, like yeah. the goldfish trying to understand the piano, uh, the planet's caretaker <laughs> says that humans really aren't ready to find out who they are. And, right. and Spock agrees, which I don't get, but okay. So here we have this yeah. planet set up for, you know, amusement. It is assumed by the caretakers that the people who get there will know that, you know, it's just an amusement planet, which means there must be people at least as advanced as the caretakers out there someplace. Well, you know what? I, I just thought about this. This is kind of like a, a Telosian thing again, where, you know, they, they have such control over. Um, I mean, we're saying on this planet that the caretakers are using machinery. Right. But the, the Telosians do the same thing with their minds, you know, create these illusions and all this stuff. But at the end of it, we're left, left with the idea that this is kind of dangerous. You need to stay away from Talos. Because they're using this incredible power of right. illusion, and they will enslave you. At least here, it's a little more benign. Well, no, it's it's much more benign. I mean, the, yeah, t- yeah. the Telosians are doing what they're doing for their own amusement, whereas yeah, right. the caretaker right. on this planet is doing this for everyone else's amusement. The one, the one thing that I did wonder mm. is, are they going to get back to the Enterprise and somehow be presented with an interstellar bill? Oh, right, right, right. Because there it, is no like when, you, when you leave Disneyland and then they mail you the folio and you're like, oh, my God, I charged everything to the room. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or, but but it's even worse than that because Disneyland has gates. Yeah. You know, right. you know when you're going in that you're going in to an yeah. amusement place that is eventually going to cost you something. Maybe it right. costs you as you go in. Maybe it costs you later, but it's going to cost you something. They just land on this planet and yeah. all of a sudden they're riding roller coasters and they didn't even know there were roller coasters there. And I'm wondering, like, when they get back, you know, is there like a concierge, you know, waiting as they teleport out going, well, there is the matter of the bill, sir. (laughs) A white rabbit, a black knight, a samurai, a tiger. It's as if this episode was written as a Mad Lib. What part does each random edition play? So there's an interesting thing going on in this episode um, that I think might have been more interesting in the novel. There are things that you can't do 
today on television that you certainly couldn't do in mid-60s television. We're, we're, we're sort of looking into the psychology of these people, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they think about things and those things happen. And so, you know, what they think about sort of brings up interesting, interesting you know, ideas about what they are. I mean, Kirk has the romantic notion and uh, Yeoman Barrows has the romantic notion. Right. Uh, Bones has sort of a <laughs> kind of you know sexual notion <laughs> once he's once he's down under the planet. But before that, Bones is actually all about Yarrow, which was uh, Yeoman uh, Barrows, excuse me, yeah. which is which is kind of surprising. Sulu finds a gun. Now yeah. there's something weird yeah. about this because Sulu is collecting plant specimen. Right. Sulu is a fencer. Sulu finds a gun. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on in Sulu's head? Um, um, Rodriguez and Teller are, are strafed by a World War II Japanese uh, fighter. Right. What's right. going on in Rodriguez's head? <laughs> right. Um, there's a tiger, inexplicably. There's a samurai yeah. chasing Sulu all of a sudden. Sulu, who had been thinking about, you know, uh, Old West firearms, is, is now being chased by a samurai, which makes more sense what with his being... Uh, Japanese and uh, uh, somebody who is good with a sword, no, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing kinky. Mm-hmm. No, right. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there, and yet probably not as weird <laughs> <laughs> as if you didn't have to worry about censors. Yeah, well, well, that's exactly it. I mean, if you actually had to do this, if you actually had to catalog all the weird, random things that popped into your mind. <laughs> And then live with the fear that those would become real. Yeah. I, you know, it, it would be impossible to deal with. It really would. I, I feel like to make this work. Now, again, we're talking about a planet that is geared toward, created by and geared toward highly advanced civilizations. And maybe they had the mental ability to do that. It would have been interesting if Spock had stuck around. Yeah. You know, what, what he would make of all of this. Um, but, yeah, you would have to have such mental discipline, far more than what we have. <laughs> to make this thing work. It's almost like if humans are going there, you, you got to check in at the front. You do need a gate, as you described, right. because you, you've got to say, okay, I want this, this, and this. And seriously, if these other things pop into my head, don't make them happen. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's nice. A checklist. Yeah, because yeah, otherwise yeah. you land there and you just, you know, like two minutes in, maybe, you have Yeoman Barrow saying, why am I standing over there naked? Right, right. And then <laughs> and you have, you know, Teller saying, why am I standing over there naked? Right. Who's and thinking McCoy. about the two of us walking off hand in hand? And of course, they're not even thinking about them walking off hand in hand at that right. point. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, sort, of a, it's sort of a nightmare possibility that, yeah. you know, everything that you think might just start and, happening. And McCoy is somewhere hanging his head low in shame. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, you um, know, and let's be honest, so are most of the guys on the away team probably. It, it, so here's the thing, though. I feel like... Um, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. And again, you know, we said that this was written by Theodore Sturgeon, who had the, the, the freedom of being a published, you know, a written word creator of science fiction, not right. not a TV producer, movie producer. And I, I do think about this in terms of, well, what else are we missing by this only being on TV? Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's also a psychological component here. That's very interesting that not only are these crew members experiencing a fantasy, they're really getting sucked into it to the point that they are unaware of what else is going on. You know, Sulu finds a gun and he's over there just firing it 
<laughs> with a sort of glazed look in its eye and doesn't understand when Kirk comes to take it away from him. Right. And then Kirk meets Ruth. And again, cue that dreamy music. And he's so wrapped up in her that he has no idea. He's not paying attention to the communications that are coming in. And I, I really have to wonder what Elsie's intention was behind this. Um, there is something about entertainment being so real or so impactful that we maybe can't separate it from real life sometimes, you know, your emotional investment in something. Um, but we like and we accept our entertainment to a point that, that it can't be too real. When you go to see a scary movie, you know that you're walking out of that theater later, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you kind of shake off the thing that, that scared you. But this, they are really drawing in um, everybody who's participating in it. So I feel like maybe that's something that would have, could have, should have been explored in a different version of this. Well, I mean, one might argue that that actually is explored more in um, The Cage. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then is explored more in The Menagerie. So, I mean, how many times are you going to do that storyline? Sure. Of course. Yeah, because you're, you mean you do it twice. Well, you don't really do it twice because The Cage was never aired or wasn't aired for years. But you do that with The Menagerie. And that was only a few weeks earlier. Yeah. I guess I'm I'm more taking it out of universe for a second, taking it, you know, to our planet. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a bummer that we're, we're totally, even in the sixties, I say even in the sixties, but I mean, just like today, just like 50 years later, we're so much cooler with violence than we are with sex. Oh yeah. As far as being presented true. in our entertainment and being presented on television, you know, yeah. Blow a right. guy away. If you want to have him chased by a tiger. Absolutely. You want to fly a fighter jet in? Yes. But only a knowing wink about sex. Yeah. Just, I mean, right. just like a little, <laughs> we're not actually going to talk about it because we don't want to offend you. Oh, we'll kill a guy. We'll run yeah. one of your favorite characters through with a stick. I yeah. mean, Bones is laying there <laughs> dead with a hole in his chest. That's yeah. fine. That you know, that's totally cool. Uh, but but let's not you know let's not talk about what most of us spend a lot of our time thinking about. And, and we'll have a thirty-eight minute fight scene out of a forty-five oh, minute show. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord have mercy. It reminds me of an episode that we will watch next season. I'm not going to. Okay. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, but, but yeah. boy, howdy! That was, it was a better fight though. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was not bad as far as fights go. And 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 two, I know I made fun of um, Star Trek making fun of the Irish earlier, but, but to their credit, I mean Finnegan has to be a cartoon character because that's all he's ever been to Kirk. All he ever was to Kirk was a tormentor. Oh he, yeah, no, he's still I, the same monster that he was in Kirk's mind. That, yeah, you know, yeah. the Kirk really. I mean, Kirk's fantasy is to beat the crap out of that monster that always beat him up. And right. so you're not going to get anywhere with Finnegan because Finnegan is one thing as far as Kirk understands him. And even if he wants him to be something more, I think Kirk actually, I mean, Finnegan actually says at one point, um, Kirk says something like, what are you doing here? And Finnegan's response is being exactly what you expect me to be. Right. So, I mean, you know, I guess we yeah. can cut, we can cut them a tiny bit of slack. Although if you hadn't done it with quite the brogue and if we hadn't had the you know soundtrack to Darby O'Gill and the little people playing in the background the whole time. <laughs> It might have been a bit more. There's one thing that I don't want to miss really quickly, because while we're talking about fantasy, while we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, before we know that it's everybody's fantasy, because the crew of the Enterprise spends most of the show not understanding that it's, you know, their thoughts that are creating this. And that takes way too long to get to. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, there's a note of sexism in this episode. And it's not mm -hmm. about sex, and it's not about how people are dressed, and it's not even about the fact that Yeoman Barrow, Barrow, Barrows, Barrow, Barrows, yeah. Barrows it's not even about the fact that she wants to be dressed up like a princess and has all these romantic thoughts. 
Bones has seen the White Rabbit and Alice from Alice in Wonderland, right? Sure. Uh, Sulu finds a gun. Kirk, I believe at this point, has already seen Finnegan. Yep. He has already seen Finnegan. And then um, Yeoman Barrows says that she has seen a guy in a mask with a sword and, you know, the sword had a jeweled uh, hilt. And Mm -hmm. Kirk says, are you sure you're not imagining all this? To the woman. To the woman, he says. this. He does not say to Bones, are you sure you're not imagining this white rabbit? (laughs) And doesn't say to himself, am I crazy or is that a guy who I haven't seen for 15 years that I was just thinking about? No, 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 no. Bones is spot on about this giant white rabbit with the with the you know waistcoat and the watch, and Kirk's spot on with this guy that he hasn't seen in fifteen years suddenly being there. But you saw a guy with a sword. <laughs> Women, are you sure right. you're not making this up? Right, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind I, of a I bummer. It's not. It's not a huge. It's not a huge deal, but it's a deal. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge mm-hmm. deal to me because I'm a man. You know, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I know there are people that I would watch it with who would immediately go. And, and, you know, I don't blame him because that was kind of a – I was surprised to see that. Well, not overly surprised, but it was kind of a drag to see. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to go back to the Finnegan thing just for a moment because something that you said made me think about this. So, yeah, I, I get it that this is a two-dimensional creation of Finnegan in Kirk's mind. All mm-hmm. right. So I have to assume now that in real time, it's, you know, Kirk is a man in his mid to late 30s. Finnegan – Probably is as well, and maybe he's this, he's gotten over his anger issues, and he's he's back home on Earth, and he's got a family, and he's got kids, and he's kind of mellowed out. All right. right. Well, right. Kirk just had this fantasy fulfillment thing of beating up Finnegan. Right. Um, well, is that helpful? Is that a good thing? Like you know, when the real Kirk runs into the real Finnegan again sometime later at the Academy reunion next year. Um, does he, you know, does this bring back that urge or is he, is he okay with this? Because he only sees Finnegan in this way. You know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I have kind of a problem, uh, reconciling this idea that, uh, that, that it, Spock even says it's like, well, that's what you needed. You know, do you feel better now? Do you feel better now? Yeah. That yeah. was almost, it was almost like his mom standing there, wasn't it? Right. Well, I hope you're happy. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, to me, it's sort of like it, 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 maybe I'm maybe I'm going a little far here, but it sort of feels like the video game debate to me. I think it feels a lot like that. OK. So, yeah, I mean, so does playing Grand Theft Auto or, or you know, Doom, if you want to show my age, <laughs> if you want to go way back in the day. I mean, does that make one more prone to violence in real life or I mean, are they separate things? And uh, I don't know. What do you think happens? I mean, I know you say you're having trouble reconciling it, but does he does that exercise that demon? Does that get does that get him over it? Can fantasy do that, or does that actually make him more likely to say, you know what, I was able on that planet to to kick his twenty year old behind? I'll bet I could take him as a thirty something year old. Right. Let's right, go. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I don't know the answer to that at all. That's why it kind of didn't sit well with me because I, I thought there was something really provocative about that. Um, that here's older Kirk beating up his young Academy mate. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, well, well, Finnegan probably is not that guy anymore. Well, but Finnegan is that guy in Kirk's head. It, he is. He, so he, he's he, he created the thing that he wanted to have another shot at. So you could argue that, 
Kirk doing that is actually, I know I used the term exercising a demon a moment ago, but you could argue mm-hmm. that that is actually what Kirk is doing. Having never been able to mm-hmm. kick Finnegan's rump the way he wanted to, um, he is finally able to in a very real, very physical way, but not in a way that's going to damage anything and not in a way that is, in fact, real. I mean, is he now? does he now get to get over this hump? Does he now finally get to understand, okay, yeah. that, 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 that wasn't real. I mean, that, what, what I see of Finnegan in my head every day when I wake up and think about that guy kicking my behind um, was not real. And now, I've been able, now that I've actually been able to face it and, and beat it, I understand now that, that it's not what I thought it was for the past 15, 20 years. Well, well that's just it. I, I don't know that it's really helpful at that point. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm hoping it is. I mean yeah. that, that it that it ends up being not just a um, that it ends up being not just a physical uh, wrestling with the manifestation, but also a, a mental wrestling with right. the manifestation as well. Not that this. Right. I mean, this planet could easily be the world's or the or the galaxy's largest psychiatrist couch if you wanted to use <laughs> it that way. And one right. could argue that 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 that's a lot of that that's a lot of what our fantasy is. That's a lot of what our play, you know, tends to be. I mean, I play. I play games about war. I'm, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not a reenactor. I don't go out in the field. I'm not a LARPer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I play card games about war. I play card games about, you know, settling foreign lands. I play mm-hmm. uh, board games about taking over the world. Right. I mean, does that, you know, what does that say about me? Eh. I mean, for some people, I think it may say that they have this fantasy that they want to um enact but they're never going to have it in real life so they go into this fantasy world and do it same sort of thing with video games and it doesn't have to be violent video games echo the dolphin when i was a teenager hmm. or i guess in my early 20s was it was 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 a favorite game of mine because you got to swim around like a dolphin you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah I mean, yeah right what we do in our fantasy lives i don't i mean does it let you take care of something that you can't take care of in reality and and you know i don't i don't know that we have a clear answer to that maybe it's different for every person I like your idea that this would be a giant psychiatrist couch, this whole planet. And then uh, all the people who fail the test get shipped right off to Tantalus again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it definitely is. I mean, as we said before, it definitely is a peek into their psyche. I don't know. I mean, we, yeah. we don't get a clear idea of what it says about anybody. Maybe the clearest idea that we have is Kirk. It's a little bit sad that being captain of a starship, um, Kirk is constantly fantasizing about the glory days. Yeah. He's thinking about yeah. the girl that he left 15 years ago. He's thinking about, you know, the guy who kicked his butt 15 years ago. He's st- right. he's stuck in college. Yeah. You know, in his fantasy life. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of these fantasies, you know, they're, they're raw. They they have this edge of violence. And, you know, like you said, it could be just a product of its time and, and its medium that you can't get into kind of the, the sexual or, or other fantasies that they're having. Um, but, yeah, a lot of this kind of hinges upon – Violence and yeah. part of it is that that whole thing about the episode that they're they're just learning what it is that they're faced uh, faced with, uh, with with this other civilization civilization that's created this planet, but um, it, it does say something about kind of a, a darker, violent, more raw nature, and then you have to ask yourself, well, what if our entertainment got really that good? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it could be really cool in one respect that this those this goes beyond. And I'm stepping out of the timeline again. It goes beyond what the holodeck could ever do. Um, 
or, or at least it, it's a next generation of that holodeck idea. Um, but it's kind of terrifying that you can just conjure up something at whim and, and there it is. You know, it's dangerous until you learn how to actually use it. Um, but apparently us humans have this piece of raw, violent thing in our minds that will, uh, will ultimately make us use us very poorly. It made me think, okay, well, what if you beam down a bunch of Klingons? You know, a Klingon ship rolls up. They send everybody down to the planet for a little shore leave. Do they conjure up something then that could actually kill the entire shore leave group? Well, if they do, they'll just put them back together. I mean, that no, was, it, it, was, it, was yeah, surprising, yeah. it was surprising um, how cool Bones was with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, you know, Kirk, Kirk is challenging the caretaker and says, okay, well, all this is fun in games, but, I, you know, I, how do you explain the fact that my, my doctor died? Yeah. And Bones says, well, maybe it's because nobody did die. Well, yeah, yeah. somebody did die. Yeah, he actually did die. Yeah, he was dead. They just put him back together. Yeah, yeah. They, and they put him back together very well, apparently. So well that he, a man of medicine, is willing to overlook the fact that he was <laughs> right. dead. Right. He was dead for over a minute, which, yeah. you know, if TV has taught me anything, means brain damage from here on out, right? right. If, if your brain doesn't get enough oxygen, if your blood stops flowing, it, it, you know, that's, you know, you see the light at that point. You're on the other side. Yeah. And even if somebody can cart you back down to a factory and eventually put you back together, you're not coming back the same. No. But apparently you are. So, I mean, yeah, the Klingons, (laughs) I actually did think about that. I would love to. I would love to see shore leave. I would love to see the shore leave that happens because, you know, not all 430 some odd people were able to keep their thoughts clean and pure and nonviolent. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's sort of. I, I'm almost immediately back to like, you know, Lord of the Flies or, or you know, Jericho or, you know, some post-apocalyptic something or other. Um, the, not the Canterbury Tales. What's that? A canticle for Leibowitz. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. I mean, I think, we, I think you know, through no fault of everyone's own, somebody's going to go dark really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been. It might, that might have been fun to see. But, I mean, at the same time, I mean, you talk about. You're mentioning the violent aspect of it. I really do think that that has to be a product of 1960s television. I think in the 1980s, the 1990s, even, you know, today, um, we would definitely get a bit more suggestive, a bit more quickly. Oh, sure. We may still be a lot more fine with the violence. and We may go into that a lot more on television. But um, there, there, yeah, there, there'd be some naughtiness. Yeah. You know, some some, some dirty times. And if you send Riley down, he's just going to be drunk the whole time. It's true. Ice cream for everybody. <laughs> I mean, this episode, when it comes down to it, I, I think of Disneyland mm-hmm. and, and Disney World and all of that for for a couple of reasons. Yeah, it's an amusement park, and they just come right out and say it, that it's an amusement park. But to me, it goes beyond that. Um, it, Disneyland, when this episode aired, Disneyland was open for about 11 years and Walt had died about two weeks before this episode aired. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was the, the embodiment of entertainment for a, a whole generation of people and now multiple generations of people. Yeah. Um, but the thing that is fascinating to me about Disneyland, and I actually, I, I have an aunt who, um, lived and, and now has moved back. So she currently lives in central Florida. So kind of has been exposed to this whole Disneyland, Disney world thing for most of her life. And she cannot understand why 
I really like those theme parks. And to me, it's this, that when those parks came out, you had amusement parks. You, you had parks with roller coasters and stuff like that. But a theme park was something new and different. It, it's a kind of entertainment, same way that we go to a movie for entertainment or read a book for entertainment or look at art for entertainment, whatever it is. But it's a new kind of entertainment that takes the audience and puts them inside the story. Yeah. So you create this fully detailed, fully realized environment and we stop being observers and now we're participants in this 3D space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned video games. And to me, video games are kind of somewhere in between this new kind of entertainment and then traditional TV viewing. I, I still feel like there's a, a passive element to it where you're still sitting in your living room. You're still on your couch. You can kind of let yourself mentally escape into the world of the game. Uh, But there's something really exciting about a tangible, designed, and built space that you get to walk into. This Um, this was one of the things I loved about the Star Trek experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In Vegas. Not there anymore, uh, sadly. I only got to do it a couple of times. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was really neat because it put you in this this fantasy uh, realm. It puts you – I mean, you were were walking on the bridge of the – one seven zero one D, yeah, which was really you know just incredibly uh, for a geek, <laughs> right? Was just an incredibly stunning thing. And you're right, that's always been one of my favorite things because I mean not to not to bash anybody, but you go to Six Flags or you go to Kings Island or you go to you know whatever local amusement park you have, and and none of them are the same thing as you know walking into the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, <laughs> right? I mean you're walking you know, into or or you know walking into. Going down into the basement of of whatever it is that Pirates of the Caribbean starts on, or walking into the haunted yeah, mansion, yeah, yeah. and and all of the surroundings are the are the same kind of thing. I mean, it's 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 fantasy land, it's world of tomorrow. You're in those places. It's not just like oh, here's a Batman roller coaster. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I used to tell people that you know, speaking of Star Trek, the experience that it, for the money that you spent on that, I, I'm sure that you did the Borg encounter on yeah. that as well. All right. So you spent your money, it was like 30 bucks per ride or maybe 50 bucks for the two or something like that. But it's, it was not inexpensive, but you are walking into this very rich, detailed set. Um, for the money that I spent, it wasn't about getting thrown around in a motion simulator. For the money that I spent, that one split second where I'm walking down a corridor and a Borg comes after me and the laser in the eye is focused on me, like for that one split second where I'm scared of that because I think it's real, <laughs> you know, that's worth the 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, that you can suspend the disbelief for for that long and really think that you're there. That to me is so cool. And then you kind of go back to, oh, look, you know, th- this is designed really nicely and oh, and I remember that from that show. And then you kind of get back into your rational self again. Um, but a roller coaster to me doesn't do that. A roller coaster is just to see how fast we can make you move around and not puke. Yeah, which is fun, but it's not it's not the sure. same thing. I will say, you know, with your appreciation for play, mm-hmm. for the simplicity of play, you mm-hmm. obviously have a, a very advanced brain. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because the complexity of thought, what is I can't remember what the uh, oh, I've got it written down here. Um, Sulu is amazed when he hears that the caretakers on this planet with all this really wonderful machinery mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. still play. Play? As advanced as you obviously are, you still play. And Kirk, it's not even the caretaker, Kirk says, yes, Mr. Sulu, the more complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play. Right. Um, Bashing the Vulcans. 
Oh, <laughs> just yeah. I mean, it's, it's and yeah. I, I know I'm always that guy, but I mean, it, it's it's yeah. it's totally it's it's once again, um, uh, sort of downplaying the Vulcan way. Uh, Spock has said at the beginning that he does not need shore leave because uh, he's yeah. Vulcan, and when they rest, they rest. And running around in fields and up hills uh, really just doesn't make any sense to him. And at the end of the episode, when you know they're gonna let, finally let the whole crew out for shore leave. Spock says he's going to go back because you know, he's had enough short leave. Thank you very much. And then when they get back to the Enterprise for the big group laugh, um, Spock asks if everybody enjoyed themselves. And they all say they do enjoy themselves. And Spock's just like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, you're supposed to be the smart one. You're supposed to be the incredibly complex one. So right. either we're actually idiots that we still need play or the Vulcans just aren't quite as right as we're always led to believe the Vulcans are. Uh, I vote the latter. Well, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm not – I don't know that there's a message there, but it was surprising. I'll put it that way. It was surprising that there wasn't some – I don't know. Why didn't Spock look up and see two suns or why didn't he look up and see, you know, at yeah. least something that would be sort of, you know, calming or soothing mm-hmm. that would sort of pass for play on Vulcan? There's apparently nothing that even passes for play right? as far as Spock is concerned. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. Danger, followed by frivolity, topped off with a hearty laugh. What messages, morals, and meanings can we take from our time on shore leave? So each week, as we wrap up an episode of the Mission Log, we've got a few questions we'd like to ask each other. And the first one is... Does this production hold up? So, Ken, I pose it to you. Does the production of Shore Leave still hold up after all this time? There are parts of it that I like. I actually like being outside on something that's obviously not a back lot. When you mm-hmm. see, you know, Kurt go running through the woods. But there are actually some really neat shots that they give it some good action. Um is it the Vasquez rocks? Is that what they're called? Uh, they, they shot it partly at Vasquez rocks. Yeah, they shot yeah. it partly at uh, Africa USA, which was oh. uh, a, a themed amusement area, uh, you know, nature. Kind of here. a back lot of its own. Made it easier kind to get of, the tiger, yeah. I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, I love the Vasquez rocks. I actually, I actually yeah. um, you live in Southern California, so I'm sure you've been there more than a time or two. I've actually only been there one time, but I, I stood there and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Star Trek fights have been here, and Bill and Ted's bogus journey took a really weird turn here. And it's yeah. always it's always neat to see those. I mean, you'll see them in art, you'll see them in movies, you'll see them in cartoons, you'll see them referenced. I mean, they're they're really a fun, beautiful place. So in in those ways, yeah, it kind of stood up. Um, the part that we talked about about the fact that everybody's uh, urges were violent as opposed to. I mean, and and I keep going back to sexual because I know the reason that we didn't have that overtly is because we're on TV in the 1970s. I mean, no, I mean, 60s, excuse me. Um, nobody thought about food. Nobody thought about just mm-hmm. laying in a hammock. I mean, so th- there are some shortcuts that I didn't appreciate. Yeah. I don't – it's hard for me to say whether this production holds up. I mean, it's fine if you're a Star Trek fan. If you're a fan, yeah. you won't hate it. I, I don't think you'll love it, but I don't think you'll hate it. If you're not a fan, it might almost be better for not fans, honestly, because mm. these characters are smarter than they're allowed to be in this episode. Right. It wouldn't right. have taken them 30 minutes, 35 minutes to figure out that what they're thinking is what's happening. 
And sure. and if you've spent any time with the crew of the Enterprise, you know that. Um, if you're not a Star Trek fan, though, if this is your first time, eh, you you might you might be kind of into it. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I, I think I'm on the same page with you. You know, it's a little hokey. Um, it is very much a product of its time from the the effects, um, kind of what they're fantasizing about, some of the, the stock footage that's cut in. You know, there, there are a lot of things that just show you the limitations of production. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think there are a lot of fans who don't like this episode. Um, but I, I will certainly defend it because I think it's fun. I think the the idea, and we'll we'll try to parse here whether or not there's a message. But I think just the idea here of the crew getting to let their hair down, we get a little peek into their psyche, even if that doesn't necessarily play true to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I think uh, I think that's all interesting, and and I like the idea that Star Trek could do a show like this that is just about having fun and not about the villain of the week, the monster of the week. Um, It's rare that you get to do that. Um, And and like I said, just me personally, somebody who's a a fan of theme parks and that kind of thing. And and this idea of manufacturing our own entertainment and, and kind of messing with our minds in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I I really like that. I, I really dig the the fun that that is presented in this episode and it it does sort of make you wonder like well if we were really that good at creating our own fantasies where would that lead us you know, hopefully we'd learn to control it enough that we wouldn't be killing each other <laughs> like uh like mccoy um so uh, long and short of it does production hold up well kind of yes kind of no um, but like I said, I'll still defend it. I, I like this episode. Um, I, I just have to accept the idea that it, it is a product of its time. And it, it is, would be it, done very differently now. That, I guess, is the one drag. I mean, it is a product of its time. If you were to make this episode now, because you actually do approach kind of an interesting frenzy when you've got the Black Knight and you've got the Tiger and you've got the airplane. But the problem is you're limited by the fact that some of it is stock footage and you know, you're also working with a real Tiger. If this right. episode were produced today, with all of the different possibilities that we have as far as realistic computer-generated graphics, I mean, right. this this actually could have turned into a madhouse yeah, uh, and funhouse. I mean, the rabbit would have been more realistic and more believable um, at the very beginning, and probably we would have seen him a bit more. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, it's it wants to be a mind-bleepery episode, yeah, it doesn't quite get to be, and maybe that is a limitation to the production. So, well, and I think you could even do this and not make it Star Trek. You know, oh, if yeah. you really, if you really wanted to go over the top, uh, you have these certain limitations because the characters are who they are, and you know they all have to survive, and and we can't go too too dark or too twisted with the characters that are our heroes here but you could make this in another context not even star trek and and still have the the fun and the intrigue hold up all right next question what's the message of the show or is there a message of this show oh man um yeah this is a tough one i I don't really think there is a message i i think there's an idea I think there's a really strong idea here about allowing ourselves the ability to have fun and go play. You know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that's that's very valid. 
and and that's very important. I don't know too many people in my life, um, at least that I'm really close with, who have uh, th- this idea that they only work and they don't do anything else. Like I remember reading an interview with Gene Simmons, uh, who again you have to take everything that he says with kind of a grain of salt. But I remember reading this interview where he says that in 40 years or however long it is that he's been a successful rock star, that he's never taken a day of vacation. And I think, wow. Well, I, either you're lying because you're trying to sound cool in some weird way, or you would be completely insufferable to hang out with, to be your friend or, or be, you know, uh, in your family. Well, Although forgive by indications, his family is okay. Forgive me though. I mean, it should be noted that his job is rock star. Well, that's very true. I mean, he's, so he it's not of, like he has spent 40 years digging ditches or working in the sewer and has not taken a day of vacation. I mean, his job, while it is a job and while it is work, yeah. um, does require him to, you know, be in movies and travel the world right, and, right. you know, play in front of arenas of adoring fans. And he's also married to uh, Shannon Tweed. Well, that's right. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of pluses in his favor. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that there's not something to the fact that he hasn't taken a day of vacation. I'm saying his 40 years of work versus, say, the average guy's 40 years of work. Right. Uh, yeah, not not very 100% different. comparable. Yeah, very, very different. Sadly, I think I'm on the same page as you. I don't know that there's a message here. And I say sadly. I mean, there's still stuff to consider here. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't mm-hmm. say, you know, oh, it's terrible that there's no message. I don't think there is an overriding message. There are a few things that you can take out. You can examine the you know, the sexism that we talked about and, you know, questioning the woman while you yeah. don't question the men. Um, why are we so violent in our, in our, you know, in our sort of idle thoughts? Sulu mm-hmm. gets a gun. Sulu's chased by a samurai. Uh, a black knight comes in. They're having this wonderful romantic, you know, time, and all of a sudden, the black knight comes in and kills a guy. Why are we okay? So why are we that way? That's something that we can consider, but I don't think there's. I think there's plenty to consider, but I don't think there's a message per se. Yeah, well, and that makes the next question maybe easier to answer. Does the message hold up? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is stronger than the thing that's not there, I guess. Or or maybe no, of course not, because nothing is weaker than the thing that's not there. And it's a silly well, question if there's no message. I, I'll tell you where, where I'm coming from in terms of the message holding up. Uh, actually, today when we're done recording, I'm going to a haunted attraction tonight. And then I think tomorrow I'm going to Disneyland. So wow. I'm just I, I'm walking out of this episode and right into uh, just a cacophony of themed entertainment. Good for you. So it does hold up. All right. Fine. (laughs) There. Have some fun. All right. Maybe that's the message. Well, what do you all do for fun? You can let us know on Twitter at Mission Log Pod. You can also contact us at Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod. You can send us a Skype message at Mission Log Pod, or you can even call us on your old school communicator at 323-522-5641. Hey, next week, remember that shuttlecraft that we've all been looking for? The one that would have been really useful in the Enemy Within? Well, it's finally here, and it's got a name. We'll put the Galileo 7 in the mission log. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K.I. Theory. 
www.thepowerhouse.com. You know, I wouldn't require much from Shirley. I'd just like it if everybody stopped pushing my buttons. Get it? And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.